this hour by Frederick Remington fully cooked ready to eat bacon. Exclusive no refrigeration 10 year extended shelf life bacon. The thickest media center cut bacon in the industry at fullycookedbacon.com. The gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, as we do this episode of the PowerCast, Chris O'Brien is moving. It's moving day. And so, we know when it comes to exiting the old home and finding a new one, you're not given very much time. So, anyway, he's going to be busy. I did a move last year. And I'm still recovering, and I won't ask our guests about that. In the meantime, we've asked Kirk Collins once again to be our guest co-host. Kirk, welcome aboard. Thank you very much for doing this at the last minute. Well, thank you. You know, I quit ufology again yesterday, and then you asked me back. So it's just, uh, I guess we're just going to say I'm on pause now and then. Yeah, well, you know, I know about quitting ufology. Mark O'Connell. Have you ever quit ufology, or have you been involved in the UFO field other than this book? I've taken a leave of absence, which I guess counts as as the same thing. I worked for about five years as a certified UFO field investigator for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. And about a year and a half ago, I took about a one-year leave of absence just so I could finish my book. Uh, Unfortunately, when I came back to MUFON after a year, a lot had changed, and I quit after only about a month. So <laughs> We've talked that's, about that's, that a little bit, about MUFON, that there are a lot of things there going on that a lot of us do not like. Yeah, that seems to be the case. Yeah, well, there's an article, I think Kevin Randall did it, about this inner circle they have there at MUFON where if you give a donation of at least $5,000 a year, you become part of this special club. So I don't know about that. I understand that if someone generously donates to the organization, you want to honor them in some way. But it seems to me these people are getting some kind of special access because this person who made the racist comments on Facebook is a member of that inner circle. And I don't know about you unless it really affects their bottom line. I would send them away and hand him his money back saying you know what we don't want your money yeah i agree well i i passed on the opportunity to sell my book on mufon's uh, online store for that very reason well we're not going to talk about mufon but we're going to talk <laughs> about you as a person before we talk about a person i knew slightly so right. mark tell us something about your background we know of course the mufon connection but what led you from wherever you were to there My fascination with UFOs and aliens in outer space started at a very, very young age. My first conscious memory, I swear to you, my first conscious memory was of a night in 1963. I was about three, three and a half years old. And a new TV show was premiering on ABC TV, and it was called The Outer Limits. And for some strange reason, my mom, who was never known to be a fantasist or a big fan of science fiction, 
for some reason, my mom had that show on the TV on its, uh, the night of its premiere episode. And when the alien appeared uh, halfway through the episode, I was so terrified. It was this glowing radioactive uh, humanoid alien. I was so terrified of that thing <laughs> that I ran up the stairs and hid behind the corner of the stairway until the scary monster went away. And that's how it all started. Ever since that moment, I have just been absolutely fascinated with anything to do with space exploration, aliens, UFOs, you name it. Also, somewhere in there in my childhood, I recall having a recurring dream. Haven't had it for many, many years, but for a while there, it was a pretty regular thing where I would walk out onto the back steps of our house. And we had a very, very big backyard. And I remember I'd, I'd go out to the back steps of the house and look up in the sky, and the sky would just be choked with invading spaceships heading toward me or heading towards my family house. So those, I think, were the two big things that really started this fascination. And then when I was old enough to go to you know start reading and going to the library, uh, my mom was a librarian at our local library, and she would take me in uh, with her often when she worked. So here's this little, you know, young boy, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years old, and I'm kicking around the library for hours at a time. And I just gravitated toward the one bookshelf that had, you know, all the usual suspects, Brad Steiger, Eric Van Daniken, you know, all the books about the Bermuda Triangle, Bigfoot, Poltergeist, Loch Ness Monster, and of course, UFOs. Those were the books I always went to and read over and over and over again. I'm pretty sure the first UFO book I read was uh, Frank Edwards' UFO's Serious Business. Um, so that that really cemented it. And then there was one more one more moment from my youth that I remember. This is when I was 13, and the news broke of the Pascagoula, Mississippi alien abduction with uh, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker. So up until this point, I had only been reading about UFOs in, in books at the library. And suddenly here was a real UFO case a spectacular UFO case that was being talked about and reported on the nightly news for days and days and days. And I remember that having such a huge impression on me because it, it really impressed upon me. These aren't just stories in a book anymore. These are real events that are taking place involving real people who are dealing with real consequences of the experience. So that moment in 1973, when the Pascagoula case, um, you know, became headline news, I think is was probably the final the final brick in in uh, you know putting together my massive love and fascination with all of these themes. So very briefly here, and we all got started with UFOs when we were young. So Mark, what is your professional background? What was your day job, or what is your day job? <laughs> my current day job is uh, I teach screenwriting at DePaul University in Chicago. Um, and like most writers, I've had a whole variety of day jobs over the years. I'm, I'm proud to say that for almost the entirety of my adult career, and I'm 57 now, uh, I've been able to support myself and my family with my writing. So it hasn't always been the kind of writing I was always excited to do, of course, um, but I was always writing. So that's, that's what brought me here. Right. Now, what we do find here is amongst your screenwriting work includes some star trek stuff yes when i was when i first signed on with my first agent which was in about 1990 uh star trek was star trek the next generation uh had been on the air for a couple years and was becoming a pretty big hit 
Um, and the Star Trek producers had this very unusual policy, unusual for Hollywood. They had an open-door policy. They would accept scripts from any writer, even if the writer didn't have any professional credits to his or her name. So because of that, I was able to write a spec script for The Next Generation, uh, and my agent was able to submit it to them, and it got read. I mean, basically, it's guaranteed. Any script that crosses the desk of their producers will get read, and you will get feedback on it. So ultimately, I found out that they liked my script enough that they wanted me to come in and pitch stories for Next Generation. So made an appointment. Now, that I'm living in Wisconsin at the time, so I'm doing this all over the phone. Okay, um, so we set up an appointment for me to talk with one of the producers, a guy named Joe Minoski, and they give me the ground rules. I can pitch up to four different story ideas. The pitches should take about 10 minutes each, um, and you only get one chance because there are so many other people waiting in line that if you don't make a sale on that first pitch with those first four story ideas, you're done. So, okay. So I work up four story ideas for Next Generation, and I do the phone pitch with Joe Minoski, and all four of the stories go down in flames. And I'm sitting there at my kitchen table on the phone thinking, well, that's that. I had my chance, and it's done. But then uh, Joe started saying some strange things. He started saying, okay, Mark, here's what I want you to try next time. I want you to tell this kind of story and this kind of story. And I, I cut him off. I said, wait, excuse me, what? I thought I only got one chance at this. And he said, well, those are the rules. Normally, you only get one chance. But he said, I really like your story ideas, so I want you to come back and try again. You know what? We'll, we'll continue with how Mark O'Connell became a Star Trek scriptwriter before we get into his book, The Close Encounters Man, with Gene and with Kurt Collins. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. If you're a sleep apnea sufferer who's on the go, go to your phone. Because if you give us a call right now, you'll be able to try the world's first portable mini CPAP device absolutely risk-free for 10 restful nights. It's the Transcend Mini CPAP, an engineering marvel that's as small as a soda can and weighs less than a pound. Its unique design is so small and so light, you can fit it in your briefcase or purse to use anywhere you go. No more dragging around a big, bulky CPAP. Even better, now you can try Transcend absolutely risk-free for 10 restful nights by calling miniCPAP.com, 1-800-441-9833. Transcend is FAA compliant, too, so you can even sleep comfortably while flying. You can also add a battery pack that's as tiny as a deck of cards. So now you can enjoy the freedom to sleep comfortably anywhere. 
But don't wait. To receive your 10-night in-home trial, call minicpap.com now. 1-800-441-9833. That's 1-800-441-9833. It's a no-brainer. A Big Berkey water filter is the one you need, period. You need a water filter that removes chlorine, fluoride, pharmaceuticals, BPA, and other endocrine disruptors, pesticides, bacteria, viruses, and much more, right? And does it all at only two cents per gallon. Get the original, most trusted name in gravity water filtration, Big Berkey. And now GCN listeners receive 5% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN. Call or click 1-877-99-BERKEY or BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation. Analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and sling bows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So we're back with Mark O'Connell, author of The Close Encounters Man, How One Man Made the World Believe in UFOs, that man being Dr. J. Allen Hynek. And listeners, I did get to meet him a few times and have a couple of stories to tell, and I'll do that later. So right now, of course, we're seeing how Mark became a Star Trek screenwriter. So the first four ideas, Mark, no go, but they liked you enough to give you, despite the rules to the contrary, another opportunity. What happened? Well, I jumped at the opportunity, of course, because who wouldn't? And so I came back a few months later and pitched four more stories, and they all went down in flames. But they invited me back again. So we went through this cycle probably a half a dozen times over the course of the next, I believe, year and a half. I kept getting very frustrated, but they kept inviting me back and giving me advice on, you know, how to do better stories. And I thought, I'm the kind of person who, if you invite me back, I'm going to come back. I'm going to take you up on that and make you regret it. So I just kept coming back and pitching. And then finally, one day, I pitched the right idea to the right producer on the right day. And about two weeks after my pitch, the producer, uh, Brandon Braga, called me up and said, Hey, Mark, we really want to use one of your new story ideas. He said, Here's the problem. We just had our script for this week's episode thrown in the trash by our executive producer. 
So we have to shoot a show in two days. It has to be done in eight days, and we don't have a script. <laughs> so he said, we really want to buy the idea behind one of your stories. Unfortunately, because time is is so short, we can't hire you to write the script. We can only buy the concept from you. So what was I going to say? <laughs> of course I agreed. So they essentially bought one sentence from me, and then they went ahead and wrote the script and aired the episode. And at the time, Brandon said, you know, if you, if you play ball with us on this, you know, you'll get another shot at doing an episode. And sure enough, six weeks later, I made my first sale to uh, Deep Space Nine. So the remainder of my episodes were all written for Deep Space Nine. Okay, so the first episode that you did more than one line, which one was that? <laughs> that was the second season Deep Space Nine episode called Second Sight. It was the first love story for Commander Sisko on the space station Deep Space Nine. Next Generation episode where they bought my story concept, that was called Timescape. And unfortunately, because they simply bought one sentence, the Writers Guild doesn't have a category for selling one sentence. So even though I was paid very well for that one sentence, I didn't get my name on the screen. I didn't get a screen credit for that Next Generation episode. But I did for all the Deep Space Nine episodes. So it all worked out pretty nicely. How many episodes of Deep Space Nine did you do? I, I wrote four episodes of Deep Space Nine. Some of them I wrote the story and script for. One, I did the script, but not the story. And the fourth, I did the story, but not the script. So each one sort of developed in its own way. So beyond that, where did you go after Deep Space Nine? Well, I, I pitched a few a few times to the new Star Trek show Voyager, but that was an exercise in pure frustration. Voyager never quite knew what it wanted to be, and it was just impossible to pitch stories to them. Because every time I would talk to the producers, they would be in a completely different space than they had been the time before. And they were looking for completely different stories than they thought they were looking for. So Voyager was kind of a dead end. Had a couple other interesting opportunities in, in L.A., but decided to focus at that point on feature scripts for theatrical movies. And my agent was all in favor of that. So from about 2000 to about 2008, when the big writer's strike changed the whole industry, I just wrote movie scripts and had several of those uh, move forward with production companies. A couple of them were optioned. A couple of my uh, scripts were put in development. None of them was produced, sorry to say, but I was getting enough interest to keep up some momentum in my career. And that's, you know, that counts for a lot. Okay, the writer's strike, how did that change things? Close down some opportunities for writers? Well, because the strike lasted a while, all of the networks shut down production of scripted shows, and they all started airing reality TV shows. So even though technically uh, we members of the Writers Guild technically won the strike, we got what we wanted out of the strike, but the unintended consequence was that the entire TV industry changed. And as I said, the, the networks all started buying reality shows. So all of us writers who had just gotten these new gains in you know, our basic pay and our benefits were suddenly finding that there were very few actual writing opportunities anymore. So that's kind of what changed all of that. So from about 2008 on, I was really wasn't working on anything of a whole lot of interest until I hit upon the idea of writing my UFO blog, High Strangest. And that's how this whole book thing came about. Now, Dr. Hynek, you know, died a number of years ago. How did the idea of doing a bio of him come about? It really just fell in my lap. I was in the right place at the right time. I had been writing a UFO blog called High Strangeness, which was, you know, kind of 
partly serious, partly tongue in cheek. I I saw a lot of things in UFO culture that that were that were a little silly, and I thought deserved to be poked fun at. So I I would do that in my blog regularly, and I still do. Um, but when you start writing a blog, you have this unending need for new material, <laughs> and so I, I spent a lot of time online just do it. First of all, going to my bookshelf and rereading all my old UFO books. And then just doing endless online research into UFO topics and what was currently happening in, in the UFO field. And in the course of that, I discovered that the Dr. J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies was still in existence. And it was just a couple of miles from where I was then living in Chicago in the, the northwest suburbs. So I contacted Mark Rodiger, who's now the scientific director of CUFOS, and asked if I could come visit and just sort of poke around in their files and he, he agreed to that. So that st started a long series of visits in which I would just sort of randomly look through all of their fascinating files and records and look for ideas for things to write about in my blog. And after a couple of these visits, Mark, Mark and I got to know each other a little bit. And he read my blog and seemed to, seemed to find it entertaining. So on one of these visits, he said, you know, he just sort of casually mentioned, you know, we've always wanted to find a writer to write the definitive account of Dr. Hynek's career. And I said, oh, please, please pick me. I would love to do that. So he was agreeable. So he said, okay, well, you have access to all the files. Have at it. <laughs> so at that point, I really started digging through the archives of KUFOS and found that. So Mark Rodiger has about half of the files in his basement. And then one of the other KUFOS officers, Mary Kastner, has all of the case report files in her basement and in her attic. So the KUFOS that Alan Hynek founded in the 1970s, there's not much of it left. It's a bunch of beat-up old file cabinets and bookshelves filled with books. And, and the people who are the keepers of the flame, Mark Rodiger and Mary Kastner and the other KUFOS volunteers, you know, they're all very great, very dedicated people. But there's just no money to really put those files somewhere where they can be preserved for all time. And that's, that's kind of a shame. But that's another story. But, that, but now you know how the book came to be. It was basically I was in the right place at the right time. So in doing research of a book like this, do you go back to Dr. Hynek's family? Or do you basically fill in the details about what he did first? Well, initially, the book was just going to be about his career. And actually, his two careers, his career as an astronomer and an educator, and his second career as a UFO expert. Let's do our break here, and we'll continue. Okay. Mark O'Connell with Gene and Kirk. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. Choose from three health sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNTelecare.com, a team of board-certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 
365 days a year. Within 15 minutes of registration, care your family can afford. Revolutionizing the healthcare industry, virtual consulting, providing diagnosis of non-emergency medical issues by phone or secure video on computer or smart mobile devices. GCNTelecare.com. Virtual care anywhere. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Attention business owners and independent contractors. This is a money-saving message from Tax Mediation Services. If your business owes $20,000 or more in taxes, we can help you today, right now. Listen, dealing with the IRS is no picnic. It's an intimidating and extremely stressful process, and you don't want to go it alone. Our attorneys know every law, every tax break, and every possible opportunity to help you resolve and reduce your tax debt. And if you owe more than $20,000, you may be at the top of their hit list. So don't take your tax debt lightly because it will not go away on its own. The IRS can seize your bank accounts, your home, and even shut down your business. Call our tax experts today at 1-800-765-9681 and let us deal with the IRS while you focus on your business. That's 1-800-765-9681. Again, that's 800-765-9681. Hello, I'm I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, and like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I would flip-flop all night long, I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed, it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. Mark O'Connell telling us how he came to write the book, The Close Encounters Man, about Dr. Hynek. So you were putting things together here in assembling the information you're going to use. Go ahead, please. Initially, the book was just going to concentrate on Dr. Hynek's dual careers as an astronomer and as a UFO expert. Uh, Over time, though, as I started to learn more about who he was as a person, 
that sort of opened up the story to getting into more of his personal life, his family life. Uh, and early on, uh, people had told me that Dr. Hynek's children probably wouldn't want to talk to me because they just weren't interested in talking about their dad's UFO work. But I thought, well, I don't, I don't really buy that. So <laughs> I went after it anyway. And I ended up making contact with Paul Hynek, who's Dr. the fourth of Dr. Hynek's five children. And Paul was very agreeable to doing an interview. And he said, my family will be very supportive of this. We're all easy to get along with, and we all love to be part of this. So interviewed Paul several times, and then he became an ongoing resource. Anytime a question came up about their family life or personal details about his dad, Paul was always really receptive to uh, my questions and always really great about giving me extra information. So he became a huge, huge asset. So with Paul's input, I was able to flesh out a lot of Dr. Hynek's personal life. I also started visiting the archives at the University of Chicago, where Dr. Hynek went to college in the early 1930s. There was a wealth of information there about his early career and his education. But then I also spent massive amounts of time in the basement of the Deering Library at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, which is where Dr. Hynek taught from 1960 to about 1984. And he was chair of the astronomy department for much of that time. The material at the Northwestern Archives was just a gold mine. It was in those archives that I really filled in uh, all the details of Hynek's career as an astronomer and really started to learn how his astronomy work meshed with his UFO work in these really fascinating and unexpected ways. Over his history, forgetting about the UFO thing, did he have any notable achievements as a scientist? Yeah, he did. And they're not the kind of things that make big headlines or, or get you a, a statue built in your honor. But he definitely made some significant contributions to astronomy. And really beyond astronomy, um, his specialty was studying the light emitted by stars. He was fascinated by examining the chemical content of the light it was using spectroscopy to study the chemical content of the starlight. And because of that, he was, uh, he was intensely familiar with um, the, the, the spectrum, the spectrum of light. And this became a factor in World War II when he was honeymooning after his second marriage in Washington, D.C. He got um, sort of snared into the war effort in 1941 and... Uh, put to work at Johns Hopkins, uh, working on this, the world's first smart weapon, something called the proximity fuse. Um, and what this was, this was a little radio device that could be put in the nose cone of a warhead. It would send out radio waves in advance of the warhead. And when, when the waves would bounce back from the target, this device would cause the warhead to explode, not when it hit the target, but when it got within a certain proximity to the target. So this saved a whole lot of our gunners uh, during the war because they no longer had to hit a bullseye every time. And unfortunately, these fuses also ended up being in the nose cones of the two atomic bombs that we dropped on Japan. And Hynek was involved in the work developing uh, that technology. So, it's, so it became kind of interesting to me that he's, his, his fascination with starlight and unusual kinds of starlight led him down these different paths. It also led him down the path of studying why stars twinkle, which is one of my favorite parts of his career. He was actually under contract to the Air Force to determine what causes stars to twinkle and to determine how you can tell the difference between a light in the sky that is actually moving or a light that is simply twinkling. 
And you can understand why the Air Force would want to know this, because it would be very valuable for pilots at night in war situations who see strange lights, you know, out in front of their aircraft. I'll say unfamiliar lights. Uh, it would be very valuable for a pilot to be able to tell the difference between a star that's twinkling and a and an artificially lighted object that's actually in motion and could be a threat. So these were all these different facets of research that Hynek got into just because of his fascination with the spectrum. I found all of this stuff just endlessly fascinating. Just how did Hynek become part of the Air Force's UFO investigations? He liked to say that he was an innocent bystander. He was teaching... He was teaching in the late 1940s at, uh, he had a position where he was teaching both at the Ohio State University and at Ohio Westland University. At the same time, in 1947, as, as many of us know, that is when the modern era of UFOs began, because on June 24th, 1947, a private pilot named um, uh, Kenneth Arnold was flying through the Cascade Peaks in, in uh, uh, the Pacific Northwest, and he spotted a trail, a, a, a chain of nine silvery semicircular objects zipping through the sky at an astonishing speed, which he later estimated as 1,200 miles an hour. Uh, and that sort of triggered this onslaught of UFO reports in the summer of 1947. And they were all being sent to the Air Force. And the Air Force had no idea what to do with these UFO reports. This was something completely outside their wheelhouse. And yet, it was something they absolutely had to deal with because the Air Force's one and only job is to keep our air is to keep our airspace safe, right? And now here, there are these strange objects penetrating our airspace indiscriminately, over and over and over, basically on a daily basis, all over the country, being seen by all kinds of people. And the Air Force has absolutely no clue, so they're desperate to explain these sightings away. And they're trying to explain as many of them away as they can as misidentifications of, of man-made objects, such as airplanes or balloons, but also misidentifications of celestial objects like comets or the planet Venus. Okay, the so key being here, Mark, is that they had no incentive to look for a real UFO if there was one. It is, let's get rid of this stuff now and let's just find ways to do it. Absolutely. Let's get rid of it as quickly as we can. So... They discover that there's this astronomer right up the road who has already had top secret uh, uh, security clearance, so he can be put to work with a minimum of red tape. And so they approach Hynek at his university and say, hey, have you ever heard of these uh, flying saucer things? And at the time, Hynek just took it as a joke. He thought, yeah, that's just a fad. It's going to, you know, it's going to die out pretty quickly. Well, the Air Force folks offer him uh, a contract. They say, we, we would like to hire you to go over our stack of UFO reports and tell us which ones, in your opinion, are actually misidentifications of just plain old celestial objects. And Heine quickly agrees because, number one, it's going to be easy money. And number two, he thinks he's going to promote good science because he thinks the whole UFO thing is just kind of a, an aberration. Um, he thinks it's, he thinks Americans are just jumpy about Pearl Harbor and they're, they're paranoid that we're going to be attacked again. And so they're just seeing things that aren't there in the sky. So he jumps on this opportunity and he goes through all of these initial reports and he's able to, he's able to write about 80% of them off as misidentifications of perfectly normal things. Most of them astronomical uh, objects. And that leaves 20% that can't be explained. 
Well, Hynek just sort of brushes those off. And he says, well, given enough time and resources, we could probably explain the remaining 20% just as well. So the 20% didn't bother him at all. So he finishes his contract after a couple months and then just returns to academia, returns to teaching his astronomy classes and forgets all about the UFO problem. Unfortunately, the UFO problem didn't go away and it came back into Hynek's life three to three years later. Um, the Air Force came back. Now, the, now their study group was called Project Blue Book. That's the one most people are familiar with. And the director, the project chief of Project Blue Book, um, uh, a guy named um, Edward Ruppelt, Captain Edward Ruppelt, uh, goes to Ohio State to visit with Heineck and says, hey, we're, we're still having problems with these UFOs. Would you come back on board? Oh, that, that could be the famous last words, but we'll get into more of that. All right. Mark O'Connell about the Close Encounters Man. Kurt Collins is our guest co-host this week. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features, and most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, There's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. Is that Ellen painting her garage? Yesterday she was trimming her hedges. What's her secret? I heard she was eating this new super berry called the Aronia Berry. Aronia what? Aronia Berries from superberries.com. They're known for having one of the highest levels of antioxidants that helps with overall wellness. Where can we get them? Go to superberries.com slash radio. And right now we get a free smoothie recipe book with our order. Plus we can save $4 at checkout. <laughs> I can't wait. I've got lots of projects I need to get done. Yes, you do. Choose health. Eat purple. Superberries.com. We use cell phones against our heads every day. But now, a landmark U.S. government study confirms increased health risks from exposure to EMF radiation emitted from these devices. The time to protect yourself is now. The solution is Defender Shield. Proudly made in the USA, Defender Shield blocks virtually 100% of EMF radiation emitted from cell phones, tablets, and laptops. Buy now at DefenderShield.com. Use discount code DEFENDER for 10% off. DefenderShield.com, the worldwide leader in EMF radiation protection. 
Hi, this is Ron Paul, former congressman and Republican presidential candidate. I love these summer months because this is when I get to enjoy the fresh fruits and vegetables that are being harvested on small farms and in our backyards. We all look forward to garden tomatoes and corn on the cob. Don't you wish there was a better way to preserve their true tastes and flavors? I'm here to tell you that there is a better way. It's by using the amazing home freeze dryer from Harvest Right. I have a Harvest Right freeze dryer and use it to preserve the foods I love. Strawberries, apples, and even lasagna and ice cream can stay fresh for 25 years. And the best part of my freeze drying is my family and I have a supply of long-lasting food on hand. So no matter what may come, we feel better prepared. We love our freeze dryer. To learn more, go to HarvestRight.com or call 800-923-9591. That's HarvestRight.com or 800-923-9591. Anytime, anyplace, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Yes, you're a professional, Mark O'Connell. Thank you. That's what Alejandro Rojas told me. He said, absolutely, this guy knows what to do. We're talking about the Close Encounters man. We're talking about the fact that Captain Edward Ruppelt, who was head of Project Blue Book, and he wrote a UFO book called The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects and is credited with inventing the term UFO because they want something that isn't flying saucer. He went and talked with Dr. Hynek to get him pulled back into the UFO mess. Tell us more. Well, yeah, Hynek had been out of the UFO biz for about three years, and he had essentially forgotten about it. He had assumed that it was just a fad and it would just fade away in time. So out of the blue, Edward Ruppelt shows up at his office and says, Hey, can I ask you to look at this old file from, from uh, back when you worked for us before? And that was the Thomas Mantell case in which uh, an Air National Guard pilot crashed and died pursuing uh, what was thought to be a spaceship at the time. So Heineck, Heineck goes over his records and he does an amazing thing. It, initially, when Heineck looked at that report, he said, oh, yeah, the pilot was obviously mistakenly chasing the planet Venus. That's what caused him to crash. Well, three years later, Heineck looks over that same case report, his own case notes, and he says, you know what? I was wrong. I don't think he was chasing Venus. Well, it turned out he was most likely chasing an experimental test balloon. So it still wasn't an extraterrestrial spacecraft, but it was different enough that Heineck had to admit, hey, I'd been wrong in my judgment. So that was kind of the first chink in his skeptical armor, was he had to admit that he had been wrong about one of the earliest cases. But what happens is, so Ruppelt comes to him and says, hey, I'm, I'm really impressed with your work. We're still dealing with this UFO issue. Would you please come back and work with us again? Can we put you under contract to Project Blue Book? And at this point, Heineck is absolutely dumbfounded. He's thinking, wait a minute, three years have passed and the UFO fad has not faded away. In fact, it's gotten even stronger 
And not only that, but there still remain year after year, 20%, this residue of 20% of the cases that can't be explained. And that was when Hynek's thinking started to change. Up until that moment, he had been an absolute skeptic. He thought the whole thing was ridiculous. And all of a sudden, he starts thinking, wait a minute, maybe there is something real going on here. And maybe we need to start paying closer attention to those 20% unexplained reports. So that's kind of the big moment in Hynek's career when he starts to change his mind. It would take many, many years for him to go through the entire process of changing his mind, but we know that that's where the process began. Now, thing to point out with Captain Ruppelt, unlike many of the people who got stuck with being in Project Blue Book, he seemed to be a pretty serious guy. From that book, he was inclined to take the subject very, very seriously, and I don't know if you ever looked into this, except for one thing. He did a revision of that book before he died. And he died like he was in his late 30s of a heart condition. But somewhat before that, he added three chapters to this book where he basically undid everything he did in the previous part of the book, saying he never believed in UFOs for a minute. And I don't know if you heard of the blowback at the time that maybe he was under pressure to do that. Just adding that aside as we go back to Dr. Hynek. Yeah, I tend to trust uh, Ruppelt's first version of the book. I think, that's, I think it's the first version of the book that was telling the true story. And I agree that the second version, the second edition, those revisions were caused by external pressure. Uh, he was no longer in the Air Force, but he was still under pressure from the Air Force to change his verdict, I guess. So, yeah, that's an interesting little side note to the whole story. The thing that impresses me most about, about Captain Ruppelt was when he was brought in to head Project Blue Book, he instituted a new policy where anyone on his staff who exhibited any tendency or bias towards an extraterrestrial theory would immediately be transferred out. But at the same time, anybody on staff who exhibited any bias towards a natural earthly theory for UFOs would also be transferred out. Ruppelt made absolutely sure that the people on his staff on Project Blue Book were as unbiased as they could possibly be. He didn't want anyone on his staff coming in with preconceived notions of what a UFO could be or couldn't be. And that demands huge respect. That was a very difficult and courageous thing for, you know, an Air Force functionary to do in that position. Well, that shows, I think, a lot of intellectual honesty. Of course, we have other stories about Ruppelt where he wrote something in his book about the Maury Island case, where he called it the worst hoax in history. And he said something about the Chicago publisher, that's Ray Palmer, who was the original co-founder of Fate magazine, that Palmer was responsible for it. And so that started a real brouhaha. But we won't get into that. Okay, so the 20% factor is what led Dr. Hynek to believe that this needs more attention, right? Right. And then a sequence of events immediately after that sort of cemented that. Very soon after he was called back to Project Blue Book, he was sent out on this clandestine mission to interview his fellow professional astronomers to find out if any of them believed UFOs were real and if any of them had actually seen any UFOs. So Hynek spends a couple of weeks journeying across the country, visiting all these different observatories and chatting with all of his friends and colleagues in the business. And in every conversation, he sort of slyly works in 
the topic of UFOs. Say, what do you think of this whole UFO business? You know, have you ever seen one? Do you know anyone who's seen one? And what he finds is he interviews about 45 astronomers, and he finds that about 10% of them have seen UFOs. And the funny thing is they won't talk about it in public, but when it's just one-on-one with Hynek, they're all very open to discussing what they've seen. So that's a pretty high percentage in such a close group of people who have seen a UFO. I mean, it makes sense with astronomers, right? They're always looking up at the sky, and they know exactly what belongs in the sky and exactly what does not belong in the sky. So those numbers were were pretty interesting, and they were also very convincing to Hynek that, uh, okay, maybe it is okay to talk openly about UFOs. His thinking had changed about UFOs, but he hadn't quite gone public with his thinking. So being able to survey these astronomers on the sly sort of gave him some intellectual cover. You know, once he knew that there was a significant percentage of his colleagues who had seen these things, he felt more comfortable talking about them in public himself. So that was an additional sort of inching forward movement for Hynek. But then the next thing that happened was he was actually sent out uh, at the time Ruppelt's time with Blue Book came to an end. He recommended that Hynek be sent out to investigate a, a sighting in the field. Now, this was a first for Hynek up until the, this point. His only connection with these UFO reports had been, you know, reading through stacks of papers on his desk. And all of a sudden, this it didn't happen until 1953, but Heineck gets sent out to South Dakota and North Dakota to investigate this very strange and difficult to explain sighting that involved a whole lot of Air Force uh, people with, with very good reputations. So Heineck gets sent out in the field, and so for the first time ever... He's actually interfacing with UFO witnesses. He's actually hearing their stories firsthand, so he's able to hear the emotion in their voices. He's able to read their body language and their facial expressions. You know, so suddenly Heineck is is aware of the human factor in a UFO case, and that changes his thinking as well. He starts realizing that there's so much more to these cases than what you'll just have written down on a, on a piece of paper in a Project Blue Book file. When you actually talk to the people involved, you learn so much more about what the experience was really like. And in this case, in South Dakota and North Dakota, it, it went both ways. He was able to form much clearer opinions of which witnesses were reliable and which witnesses he thought weren't reliable. Again, because he was able to talk to them face-to-face and get the real meat of the story in person. So those were the things that really started moving Heineck along this, this, this path where he started to reconsider his position uh, that all all UFOs could be explained away as natural events. Well, I think some of the things you've mentioned there are really important, and a lot of people are under the impression that Heineck's shift to um, away from skepticism began in the '60s. But I had a, a quote here. This is in in preparing his notes for um, uh, Ed, Edward Ruppelt had kind of done profiles on some of the people, and he said. Dr. Heineck has been a consultant astronomer to Project Sign, Grudge, and Blue Book. I won't say he's a believer, but he's darn interested. He has devoted a great deal of his valuable time to the project. So, you know, he, he definitely was um, exp- expressing his respect for uh, Heineck's scientific curiosity. And, and, you know, this just goes into what you were saying, that this was, this was an uh, evolving uh, position by Heineck based on what he was experiencing. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the best way to describe it exactly, an evolving position. We'll have more of this more of Dr. Heineck's long period of transition from 
UFO skeptic to accepting that something real is going on in a moment with Mark O'Connell and Gene Steinberg and Kurt Collins. You're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Are you looking to become more self-sufficient? Then you need to have your own energy source. The Solark EMP hardened generator is automatic, maintenance-free, and reduces your monthly electric bill. You can also take it off-grid when you go camping. Contact PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875 today. Portable Solar LLC gives you everything you need to start using solar energy in less than one hour. Solark EMP hardened solar generator energy insurance. For your family or business, call Portable Solar LLC today. If there's a toxic chemical biological gas smoke emergency while traveling at home or on your job, are you protected? Are you prepared? There are over 400,000 fires in the USA every year. Up to 85% of all deaths in a fire are due to smoke inhalation. Three minutes without air and we as humans will die. Be prepared and escape safely with our Safe Escape Smoke Hoods, giving you up to 60 minutes of breathable air protection. Order yours online at ase-safety.com. That's ase-safety.com. And get up to 40% off plus free Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Before we go on, I want to mention that we have a special feature of the show, a second radio show called After the Paracast. And the only way for you to hear that show is to become a member of the Paracast Plus, where we let you download that a commercial-free version of this show with better quality audio and videos and more goodies. To find out more about the Paracast Plus, check out plus.theparacast.com. That's plus.theparacast.com. Prices start just $1.49 a week. And get this, we have a new YouTube channel, the official Paracast channel on YouTube. And I put up there a sampler for Paracast Plus, our 10th anniversary show, both the regular show and after the Paracast. So we're looking here at Dr. J. Allen Hynek with the author of Close Encounters, a man, Mark O'Connell. And now he's sucked back in to the UFO <laughs> mess by Edward Ruppelt. 
and he's going now to talk to witnesses. He's out there as a basically a field investigator. Did he do this alone or did he have help? Well, it all depended. Most of the time he would do it alone because Project Blue Book's budget was so tight. It was a rare occurrence when he could get somebody to come with him for an investigation. Uh, sometimes when he did have backup, it was it was um, you know a sergeant first class. It was sort of a low level, low level functionary on the Blue Book squad who would get sent along to basically serve as Dr. Heineck's chauffeur. They were, he would get the driver in the jeep, and that's how he would get around when he was investigating these cases a lot of the time. But yeah, most of the time when he was in the field, he was on his own. That changed later in the 1960s when he picked up some new allies at Northwestern University, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that story in a bit. You mentioned that there wasn't much staff, but I think a lot of people don't realize how small Project Blue Book actually was. I mean, it was it was basically uh, whoever's in charge and a couple of secretaries and whoever they could recruit. I mean, it wasn't a large investigation. It was basically one tiny little office. Isn't, isn't that about the size of it? Yeah, that's true. I mean, there, there was this one moment in time, this one sort of snapshot moment at which uh, Project Blue Book's budget was actually increased and Edward Ruppelt was able to was able to bring more investigators on staff. That lasted for a couple of years. They actually beefed up Project Blue Book for a while. But their motives for doing that are kind of surprising. The Air Force wanted Project Blue Book to have more resources because they wanted Blue Book to be able to investigate and then debunk more UFO cases. So it wasn't that they wanted Ruppelt to get at the truth. It was that they wanted Ruppelt to be able to do a better job of sweeping the UFO problem under the rug, which I find very comical and very pathetic. What did you expect from the Air Force? I think after <laughs> Ruppelt left, though, it seemed as if Project Blue Book had fewer resources. Am I wrong there? I think that's absolutely true. And, and, and a lot of that was simply because all the new project chiefs and the project chiefs were rotated in and out every couple of years. There was so little consistency. But every new project chief carried with him his own biases and his own objectives for what to do with Project Blue Book, and they weren't always they weren't always positive. Some of the project chiefs just wanted to be anywhere but the Project Blue Book offices. Some of them were just killing time until they could retire, uh, and then and then at the end of the line, you get Hector Quintanilla, who was just absolutely hostile to UFOs from day one. So yeah, the the operation was scaled back over time. The budgets got smaller and smaller, and a lot of that was simply because. A lot of it was because of apathy, and a lot of it was because of just outright hostility to the project. Uh, and many times that hostility was coming directly from the project chief. How did that impact the association with Heineck? Did he eventually quit or what? Well, for a long time, Heineck stuck with it for a lot longer than anybody thought he should have. And I think he had good reasons for it. But he would sort of make things work his own way. There was a, there was a time in there when resources were slim. When he and his um, teaching assistant at Ohio State, Jenny Zeidman, who also assisted him with his Blue Book work, they would often get UFO cases reports sent directly to them. People would contact Heineck directly at the university and report a UFO case. And Heineck would say, okay, this is great. I'd really love to investigate it. But if I do it on my own, the Air Force won't, won't pay me for it. So what I'd like you to do is send this report to... Hector Keatonia at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and then they'll pay me to investigate it. 
And sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't. But Heineck was very crafty at coming up with ways to sort of circumvent the restrictions that were placed on him in Project Blue Book. So um, did he take but, that gig as a way to help feed his family because academics don't make a lot of money? Well, that was definitely part of it. I mean, when I talked to Paul Heineck about it, he, he said, yeah, as far as we knew, it was just, you know, especially in the early years, it was really just an extra paycheck to him. But, you know, he get, as he was drawn more into it over the years, you know, it became became far more than just a paycheck to him. One of the interesting aspects of it was he knew that if he ever quit Project Blue Book, then he would lose access to the treasure trove of UFO case reports in the Project Blue Book files at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And he did not want to lose that access. So because of that, he was willing to put up with a long series of absolutely disagreeable bosses and absolutely intolerable working conditions and restrictions he was willing to put up with all of that just so he could have continued access to the Blue Book files. Now, what he did was, over time, copies of those Blue Book files would have a way of migrating back to Heineck's home office or his office at Northwestern University. So by the time Blue Book you know, drew to a close in 1969, Heineck had done a pretty good job of not all the files, but those 20% of the most interesting files Heineck had done a pretty good job of making sure that he had copies of those in his own possession. Was there a problem with doing that or his access allowed it? Uh, I've never come across any indication that there was any problem with it. In fact, I, it sort of seems people treated it as kind of a joke. Like, well, of course he's making go- copies of these files. It wasn't until the very, very last days of Blue Book that Hector Kittania seemed to get wise to this. And he started putting restrictions on Heineck. He no longer had access to the files, and he no longer had access to the office Xerox machine, so he couldn't make copies of anything. So eventually, eventually, Keatonia got wise to it and put a stop to it. But Heineck seemed to have gotten away with it for quite a while. Okay, he obviously had a long-term plan here, though. If he just took this for a paycheck, and the major goal was to explain away the UFOs, why did he keep all this information? Well, he always, always hoped and believed that there would come a day when there would be a scientifically based group or institution that would be completely dedicated to the study of the UFO phenomenon. And so he felt that it was imperative for him to um, preserve as much data, as many of the records as he possibly could on his own because, you know, the Air Force couldn't be trusted uh, you know, not the Air Force didn't understand the phenomenon. They didn't care about the phenomena. They certainly weren't going to hang on to these records if they didn't have to. So, you know, I think Heineck, Heineck was always playing the long game. Um, he always felt that at some point or another, there is going to be an institution. I don't, I don't know, know if he necessarily foresaw that he was to be the one who had found it, but he always had faith that somewhere along the line, this massive study would take place. And of course, it did then in the Colorado study. At the time, Heineck thought, well, this is what I've been waiting for for 15 years. This is what's going to finally crack the case as far as the UFOs go. So I think that was his thinking all along. Maintain these records because they are going to be valuable at some point. And, and at some point, there's going to be um, a really credible scientific team that's going to be able to take a look at these. Now, the most legendary story we hear about Dr. Heineck is Swamkass. <laughs> and I want to ask you about that, how that came about in just a moment, because it's fascinating how some people get sucked into things that they didn't entirely expect. Again, 
The author, Mark O'Connell, the book, The Close Encounters Man, How One Man Made the World Believe in UFOs. And I'm also going to ask how he came to be involved in a major motion picture, even getting a very, very famous cameo part that we all remember. And I think that kind of that part emphasized this character. Kurt Collins, our co-host. Mark O'Connell's our guest. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed, it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. Lifetime Gray's 100% grass-fed beef has the health benefits you seek. When compared to conventional beef, it offers good fats while virtually eliminating the bad. That's the result of cattle who never eat grain, ever. Rich in antioxidants, including vitamin E, C, beta-carotene, and CLA. No artificial hormones, antibiotics, or other drugs. For all our fresh, non-cooked products with only 100% grass-fed beef, go to MidasResources.com. Use voucher code GCN to get 30% off your order. MidasResources.com or find us on Facebook. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by, making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people, they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right 
late to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a large portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-314-7417. 800-314-7417. That's 800-314-7417. Ralph, remember when you said you were going to start paying more attention to your health and now you're eating potato chips? Just a few. A few, okay, but you should be eating Superberries Aronia Berries. Aronia what? Aronia Berries from Superberries.com. They're known for having one of the highest levels of antioxidants that helps with overall wellness. Go to Superberries.com slash radio. And right now we get a free smoothie recipe book with our order. Plus we can save $4 at checkout. Wow, look at all the benefits of these berries. I know, Ralph, I know. Choose health. Eat purple. Superberries.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Okay, the story of the Swampcast. This came ahead of those congressional hearings. So tell us more. Well, it's March 1966. The American public is crazy about UFOs. And the reason is because John Fuller is writing a book called Incident at Exeter, which became a huge bestseller. And little excerpts of the book were being published in national magazines before it went to publication. This is all happening in the, the winter and spring of 1966. So the public is just fascinated with UFO reports at this point. And they are primed. The American public is primed for a huge UFO spectacle to take place. And then it did. On a couple of nights in March of 1966 in these small towns in southeastern Michigan, first of all, a farmer and his family saw some strange lights descending into the swamp behind their house and behaving rather oddly for a couple hours. And then the very next night, 87 residents of a women's dorm at Hillsdale College in Hillsdale, Michigan, saw something very similar. They also saw floating lights uh, in the arboretum outside the windows of their dormitory. Well, both of these cases become national sensations. And Project Blue Book, at first, Hector Keatonia does not want to have anything to do with the Michigan cases, but he gets pressured into sending Hynek. And this is a point where Hynek could have had colleagues with him, because by this time he had his two partners and buddies at Northwestern University, Jacques Vallée and William Powers. And he made the decision not to bring them along, which was a fateful decision. And I think he kind of regretted that, because when he arrived in Michigan, it was just a zoo. The police officers couldn't really offer Hynek any protection to speak of, because they were part of the story, too, because the policemen in the area had been sighting strange things in the sky all week. So Heineck arrives at this absolutely crazy scene in southeastern Michigan, this farm where these lights were seen. And he's doing his best to investigate, but it's just a mess because there are so many reporters there and and Heineck barely gets a chance to actually talk to the witnesses face to face. So Heineck never really feels that he's able to get really good research data from this event. Well, then he goes to, the, to Hillsdale College to visit the, the women's dormitory. Well, of the 87 witnesses, the dorm house mother only allows Heineck to talk to two of them. This is also fateful, because instead of having 87 witnesses, he's only got two. And the two women who he talks to were not among those who said they saw this thing swoop down from out of the sky. 
when they first saw it, it was lights down in the Arboretum that were sort of bobbing around. Well, another witness at this second sighting was Bud Van Horn, who was the local civil defense agent. And Bud Van Horn explains to Heineck, he had also seen these things from the dormitory windows because they had called him in uh, to help them figure out the mystery. And he tells Heineck, you know, when I first saw those lights floating out in the Arboretum, I thought they were marsh gas. So Bud Van Horn planted the swamp gas idea in Heineck's mind the day before the infamous Michigan press conference. Well, in my research, I found, and I wasn't able to include all of this in the book, unfortunately, because of length issues. But over the course of the three days that Heineck was in Michigan investigating these sightings, as many as six different people floated the idea of swamp gas past Heineck and said, you know, it could have been swamp gas. What these people are describing, lights that rise and fall, they grow brighter or dimmer as if they're on a rheostat. And whenever there are other light sources in the area, they disappear. They seem to disappear. This was exactly what these people were describing. And this is exactly what swamp gas does. So Heineck is pressured into holding a press conference by, by Hector Quintanilla. And it's a really a big deal. The Air Force's number one UFO expert is going to tell the world, everybody expected that he was going to tell the world that, yes, these were spaceships that these people saw. I mean, can you imagine the excitement? This was a national story. Everybody believed that Heineck was going to say extraterrestrial spaceships. And instead, he says swamp gas. <laughs> it was a scandal. People were furious with Heineck. Everybody was furious with Heineck. His UFO colleagues were furious with him. Everybody in the state of Michigan was furious with him because they all thought he was branding them, you know, kooks and loonies. It was just a horrible, horrible moment. Heineck said it was his lowest point in his UFO career. After all the research I've done on this case, I believe Heineck said absolutely the right thing. He was a guy who only went where the facts took him. And in this case, the facts took him to swamp gas. It's undeniable that what all of the witnesses described sound exactly like swamp gas. So I am actually a huge backer of Heineck's swamp gas verdict. I know that doesn't make me very popular in some UFO circles, but I truly believe this case is so well documented. There's so much information. If you really, really dive deep into the chronicles of this case, I don't think you can come to any other conclusion that it was, was most likely swamp gas that all these people saw. It just didn't sound politically correct, did it? <laughs> no, it didn't. It made an easy target. But here's the really weird thing about it, you guys. In the week or two after the swamp gas pronouncement, Heineck became an international celebrity. He was being asked to, on lectures. He was being invited to go on talk shows. He was getting piles and piles of mail delivered to him, not just at Wright-Patterson, but also at the observatory at Northwestern University. Heineck became a superstar because of swamp gas. It makes absolutely no sense, but that's exactly what happened. Everybody wanted a piece of the guy, and he loved being a celebrity. Well, that's interesting because, you know, I was uh, in looking over Heineck's career. I was wondering, when did he first appear? But I found quotes from him in the 40s and and I guess some in the, into the 50s, and he's mentioned in, in RuPaul's book, but uh, I don't guess he was taking part in press conferences before that. But then he really broke out. And uh, so uh, how did he handle the celebrity? Oh, he ate it up <laughs> from all accounts. Uh, Jacques Vallée in his, in his published journals expresses some dismay. He felt that the celebrityhood went to Heineck's head. 
and that he kind of lost his focus on the real issues of the UFO problem because of it. Um, and I guess that's that's not an unfair representation from Valet's point of view as one of as one of Dr. Heineck's closest friends and colleagues. But I think also Dr. Heineck just saw this as, oh my gosh, everybody wants to hear what I have to say. And so I'm going to start talking because I have a lot to say. So <laughs> I think for Heineck, this this moment of when he suddenly became a celebrity, it was this amazing opportunity for him to educate the American public and say, look, forget about swamp gas. Let's talk about the real issues of the UFO phenomenon. There are many, many credible cases reported by many, many credible witnesses, and we need to pay attention to this and we need to study them. We don't need to be wasting our time on these swamp gas cases where there's really no evidence and none of the witnesses can agree on anything. We need to really seriously concentrate on the good cases. So for Heineck, it was just this golden opportunity to become not a celebrity, but an educator. Also, he could cash in when he started writing books. We do have to be honest about that. And that leads me to a story where I introduce Dr. Heineck to a famous author. This occurred in the latter part of the 1970s. And it was kind of interesting to kind of sit back and watch this interaction. I'll tell you what it's about in a few moments. Mark O'Connell, Kurt Collins, Gene Steinberg, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. Choose from three health sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. Being self-reliant is about being prepared and to do what you need to have your own source of renewable energy. Portable Solar LLC offers the most powerful EMP-hardened solar system on the market that is transportable from place to place. And the best part, it's very affordable. Contact them at PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875. Soul Arc EMP-hardened solar generator, energy insurance for your family or business. Call Portable Solar LLC today or go to PortableSolarLLC.com to check out their patent-pending technology. It's about time something new came along for better selling and buying online. And I found it. What now, Marge? It's buysellmakeoffer.com. Never heard of it. It's a brand new company. That's why you've never heard of it. It's the newest and best way to sell any products online. I did all the research. Sell my car? Yes. Our home? Yep. My golf bag? Your golf clubs. All of them. How about your purse collection hoard? Hey, now. You said any product. Right. I did. Hmm. We get 30 days free. And membership is only $9.95. Yep. And buysellmakeoffer.com will never charge item fees ever. Mm. Never. And this is cool. Listen to this. You can even use Skype or video to show your items. That's cool. Yes. All we have to do is go to the website, sign up, and then load our stuff to sell. I love this site. Buysellmakeoffer.com. Buysellmakeoffer.com. You got it? Buysellmakeoffer.com. Buy, sell, Makeoffer.com. Better selling, better buying.
If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000, but the most you'll get from government benefits is $255. How will your family pay the difference? We can help. Our senior plans start as low as just a dollar a day and pay up to $30,000 for a funeral and other final expenses. Peace of mind is easy. There's no medical exam. You'll have lifetime coverage, and your plan can't be canceled as long as you pay your premiums. Call now for free information about our senior plans. Answer a few simple questions and receive approval right on the phone. Plus, call right now and we'll give you a discount prescription card for free. Call 800-557-0158. That's 800-557-0158. Again, 800-557-0158. Have you ever thought you'd like to flip houses but didn't know how or where to get the money? Are you ready to be your own boss so you can start living the good life? Hi, I'm Preston Neely. I used to be so broke. I had my electricity turned off nine times, but I figured out a way to quit my job and find financial freedom in real estate. For a limited time, I want to send you a free copy of my smash hit selling book, How to Get Rich in Real Estate. It shows you how to copy exactly what I did so you can make money from the comfort of your own home without even doing any manual labor. I've already given away 5,000 books and they're going fast. To get one before they're gone, call one 800 958 6936. Listen, if you're sick and tired of stressing about money, this book could change your life. It's short, fun to read, easy to understand, and awesome. To find out how to get your free book while supplies last, call 1-800-958-6936. Call 1-800-958-6936. 1-800-958-6936. Hi, it's Grant Cameron from presidentialufo.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So what am I talking about here? Well, in the 1970s, there was a best-selling book called The Bermuda Triangle. And it basically took all the legends of those alleged disappearances of ships and planes in the Bermuda Triangle and made a big deal of it. And the book was written by Charles Berlitz. Now, Charles Berlitz was the grandson of the founder of the Berlitz Language Schools. He's a guy who was very rich before he got into this and became a best-selling author. So how did I get involved with this? Well, I was doing a local cable access TV show, The World Beyond Reality, for a magazine called Beyond Reality. And I was the host, because I had a broadcast background. So Berlitz agreed to come on the show, and he mentioned a few things about another case called the Philadelphia Experiment. And I said, I have some information for you. And we became friends. And I was considered some kind of advisor or contributor to a couple of his books where he gave me credits and a few free lunches. That's it. Of course, Berlitz really became known because he was the named author, in addition to William Moore, of the book on the Roswell case that brought back Roswell. Okay, having met Dr. Hynek and interviewed him, I knew he was coming to New York. And I thought, you know, two book authors. Let's see if they want to get together because Berlitz wanted to meet Heineck. So I arranged for Berlitz to meet Heineck in his hotel room. So during that time, 
it was like a 20-minute meeting. Hynek is asking Berlitz what he could do to promote his books. This is probably before they made the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And it was really fascinating to watch these guys at it. I understand Berlitz was a character. He had a twinkle in his eye. He would tell me more often than you would expect, I'm honest as the day is long. And you have to say, if someone says that over and over again, he's telling you something. <laughs> Kurt, you had a little insight into something that Burlitz did to our cultural lexicon, right? I was looking up the origin of a phrase, and it, it's associated with uh, Stanton Friedman, but in, in you mentioned the Bermuda Triangle book. That's where the phrase Cosmic Watergate first came out. Berlitz was mentioned that in interviews, and, and obviously Stan Friedman liked that, so yeah, he went into that, which, of course, is is the shorthand for a, a UFO cover-up comparing it to the Watergate cover-up. And, and Mark, did, uh, what was uh, what was Hynek's position on the, the, cover, uh, the cover-up? Because, you know, he was, as a skeptic debunker for the Air Force, you know, he was accused of being part of it. Oh, yeah which was always very uncomfortable for him. He did, he did um, believe that there was another study of UFOs going on somewhere in the government. But he had a funny saying about cover-ups. He said, look, you can cover up knowing something or you can cover up not knowing something. And he truly believed that whatever the Air Force was covering up, it had to do with them not knowing something. That's the way he saw it. But he did agree, though, that there was probably some office somewhere in the Pentagon or at Langley where somebody was keeping tabs on the UFO problem. He, but he never really believed that the Air Force actually understood anything about the phenomenon at all, even to the bitter end. So that's an interesting it's, point here, because there are people out there who talk about, as we say, Cosmic Watergate believe that the government has the truth somewhere. They only need to disclose it to set us free. In the early days, Major Kehoe was talking about a silence group enforcing this policy. And they all had to know UFOs were spaceships. It was so obvious. How could it be otherwise? But if you say if the government doesn't know, one thing you'd want to do is sweep it under the rug. You don't want to admit you don't know. You could have generals or other military commanders saying, hey, we can't admit we don't know what's going on. Some people might panic. A lot of different explanations, none of which mean they know any truth about it. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go into the migration here of Dr. J. Allen Hynek becoming an international celebrity. When did the books about UFOs begin? Well, his first book, The UFO Experience, came out in 1972. And it was a, it was, um, I would say it was one of the more scholarly UFO books ever to be published. He talked, to, he talked a lot in that book about his experiences with the Air Force and, you know, sort of, sort of retraced his history and his personal journey as a UFO investigator. Um, but he also started talking in that book about two important things. One of them was, as I mentioned earlier, the human factor which he became really aware of when he went out onto his first field investigation. He really paid attention in his book to um, the kinds of people who were having UFO encounters and how it affected them. 
and how they perceived their experience and how they would try to relate their experience. He was always very, very struck by the fact that um, UFO witnesses were trying to describe things for which we don't have words. How do you describe something that doesn't have a name or doesn't have any words that we have that apply to it at all? It was a very strange situation, but he really paid a lot of attention to that in his book. Um, He also, in that book, started to uh, elaborate on um, his system for classifying UFO events. He had been doing a lot of work on, um, on, on coming up with ways to categorize UFO sightings. As a scientist, of course, he thought the first thing we need to do is categorize phenomena, look for similarities, look for patterns and relationships. So he started developing a really simple categorization system with three different categories. It's not the ones you're thinking of. In this first book, he talked about uh, daylight disks and meandering nocturnal lights. And the third variety was visual radar sightings. And he spent a lot of time in the book cataloging many, many different instances of these three different types of UFO encounters. Um, and he was he was most interested in the visual slash radar contacts because he felt that those were the most credible and he felt that those actually um, those cases actually had enough scientific information that you could actually do a credible scientific study of what was involved. So that was kind of that was kind of the breakthrough with that book in 1972. Then after those first three categories, then he also went into some detail about three more categories, and these are the ones we're all familiar with, the close encounters. And, of course, a case that starts out with a meandering nocturnal light can eventually become a close encounter. So these two groups of three categories all sort of meshed with each other. So close encounters, what are the close encounters? Well, close encounter of the first kind involves visual contact with a UFO, and Heineck would generally give a distance of about 500 yards, 1,500 feet. He felt that was close enough that you could actually make out physical details of the object. You could, you could see its size and its shape and whether it had a solid outline, things of that nature. Um, close encounter of the second kind was also within 500 yards, but it included the object having um, an effect on the environment, and that could be uh, leaving behind burning bushes or landing landing pad imprints. It could mean knocking out a car's engine as the UFO flies by. It could mean uh, the witness suffering from uh, from welding burns on their retinas or from radioactive exposure. So that was that was the second kind. Those were Heineck's favorite cases because again they provided the most meaty scientific data. Close encounter of the third kind. He, didn't, he never wanted to deal with close encounters of the third kind because they were too absurd. They were too far out. Those were the cases involving occupants of the UFO. And in, in a close encounter of the third kind, the witness would either see the occupants or actually interact with the occupants of a UFO. Heineck hated those cases, but he felt he had to include them because there was so much evidence saying that they were happening. Of course, one notable example that we have to think about is Socorro, New Mexico, where possible beings were seen in connection with that case, and Dr. Heineck did investigate it. More to come with Mark O'Connell. Hengene and Curtis, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Fully cooked, ready to eat bacon. I'm talking thick, meaty, center cut, presidential bacon. Savory and delicious. I buy some, I use some, I store some. Awesome. No refrigeration needed with a 10-year shelf life. NASA pack technology. Bacon. Fully cooked, fully hydrated, ready to eat right from the pack bacon. Or warm and served. Life-saving, ready to eat bacon. 10-year shelf life bacon. Ships free at FullyCookedBacon.com. FullyCookedBacon.com. If there's a toxic chemical biological gas smoke emergency while traveling at home or on your job, are you protected? Are you prepared? There are over 400,000 fires in the USA every year. Up to 85% of all deaths in a fire are due to smoke inhalation. Three minutes without air and we as humans will die. Be prepared and escape safely with our Safe Escape Smoke Hoods, giving you up to 60 minutes of breathable air protection. Order yours online at ase-safety.com. That's ase-safety.com. And get up to 40% off plus free shipping. Are you living your passion? Are you pumped to go to work because you get to talk about or work with or do the things that interest you the most? Is working, playing, and relaxing one and the same? As long as you're working for someone else, you'll never be living entirely true to yourself and your passion. I'm Pharmacist Keith. Let me show you how you can work around your current schedule, create the extra income so you can live your passion. Visit radio.recordedvideo.com. That's radio.recordedvideo.com. Radio.recordedvideo.com. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. 
At GCN Team, we should change the Healthy Body Brain and Heart Pack to the Healthy Libido Pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNTeam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So, we have the various close encounters. He doesn't like the close encounter of the third kind because of the implications, but Sakara, New Mexico was a possible CE3. Did you look into his attitude about that case? Oh, yeah. That was an important case for him. Um, so the case involved a, a, a local police officer, Lonnie Zamora, who was out chasing a speeder one day towards the end of his shift. And he passes these hills outside of the town of Sequoia, New Mexico, and he hears a blast and he sees a, he sees a jet of flame coming out from beyond these hills. So he gives up on chasing the speeder. He steers off the road onto this gravel track that takes him up a steep hill. So he's driving along this ridge, and down below the ridge, he sees what at first appears to be an overturned car and two people standing next to the car, very short people wearing white coveralls is what he saw. Well, then he gets a little closer, and the two people see him coming, and they sort of jump in alarm and disappear. By the time Lonnie stops his car and scrambles down the hill to get a closer look, the two people, or humanoids, have disappeared. Apparently, they've gone back inside the egg. And that's what it is. It's not an overturned car. It's this gigantic aluminum egg supported by landing struts. And it starts to roar, and flame shoots out from the bottom. So Lonnie scrambles back up the hill to his squad car to hide as this thing launches into the air and then shoots off horizontally towards the horizon. Lonnie is very shaken. He calls in backup. A state patrolman shows up within minutes and finds Lonnie essentially in shock. And they go back down to the bottom of the arroyo, and there's a burning bush from this object's flamed exhaust. There's a burning bush, and there are landing mark imprints. So here you've got a case witnessed by a very, very credible witness, an extremely no-nonsense, by-the-book, Joe Friday kind of a cop. His story never changes, even after he's telling it multiple times. And there's physical evidence. There's burned brush, and there are landing mark imprints. Well, Blue Book had to do something about this very quickly. So Heineck was sent to New Mexico on just a couple hours' notice, basically to tamp down the whole story before it became too sensational. But... There was really nothing he could do. The story was already becoming sensational on its own because of the humanoids associated with the object. And there were other witnesses. It turned out there was a a family who were passing through town, had stopped at a local gas station in Sicaro. As the attendant was filling up their car, the the dad of the family asked him, so, you know, you got any weird low-flying aircraft around this town? And the gas attendant says, well, you know, we've got the Air Force Base and the missile grounds close by, so there are an awful lot of helicopters in the sky. And the dad says, oh, this was not a helicopter. Something buzzed our station wagon as we were driving through town. And a minute after that happened, we saw this patrol car veer off that highway and drive up this gravel hill, this direct gravel road up this hill. Well, obviously, they had seen Zamora. So all of a sudden, we have a corroborating account that supports Zamora's 
testimony. So Heineck is faced with this really pretty perfect case, credible uh, witness, physical evidence, and a backup witness who verifies the initial story. Heineck ended up calling this the Rosetta Stone of UFOs because he felt like the, all the right information to possibly decode the whole UFO problem might be right here in this case. The credibility of the witness is interesting in this because even among some of the, the pilot cases the Air Force investigated, there was always a suggestion that it was a misperception or an exaggeration. But as best I can tell, there was there was real, not, no one was impugning um, Zamora's character. He was considered a, a reliable witness, and it wasn't just Heineck that thought so. Yeah, and in fact, even the people who tried to knock down the case— they never accused Zamora of seeing things or making things up. What was generally done to sort of explain the case away, and, and Hector Quintanilla tried this strategy on his own, the general strategy for debunking this case was to say, well, it was obviously a top-secret test craft that was launched from the nearby Holloman Air Force Base or the White Sands Missile Ground. It was probably a prototype lunar lander for the Apollo space missions. That's what a lot of people thought. But even those people, they never actually tried to say, well, Zamora was nuts or Zamora didn't know what he saw or didn't know what he was talking about. They accepted that he had seen something. They just had a different interpretation of what that object was. Now, I want to get into the obvious point where CE3 becomes the focal point of a major motion picture. So, early 70s, Steven Spielberg is starring work on a new film. How does Dr. Hynek connect with that? Well, early on in my research in the Kufos files in Mark Rodiger's basement, I came across a manila folder labeled Spielberg. So, of course, I got excited and I pulled that folder out and I sat right down at the table and I was going to just dive right into that. Well, it turned out to be a very thin folder. There was not much in it. But what there was there was pretty eye-opening. So the first thing I see is a letter, a copy of a letter that Heineck had typed up and written to Steven Spielberg in the mid-1970s. I think this was, it was probably 75 or 76, I think, when this took place. So there's this letter that Heineck has written to Steven Spielberg saying, hey, Mr. Spielberg, I understand you're making a movie and you're using my title that's okay, but I really wish you had contacted me. It's kind of weird that I had to find out about this from reading a magazine article. So it, the letter is, it's so painfully trying to make the point that Spielberg has done something wrong, but at the same time trying to be very gentlemanly and diplomatic about it. So the way Heineck has worded this letter, it's just kind of a masterpiece in sort of walking on eggshells. But the message gets through. And about two weeks later, Steven Spielberg writes back to Heineck. There was a copy of that letter in the file as well, in which he says, oh, gosh, I'm really sorry. I didn't really realize that the title was your property. But he said, I want you to know, number one, we aren't going to use that title. We're actually going to call the movie Watch the Skies. And number two, I insist that everybody on my creative team read your book, The UFO Experience, as basically their UFO 101 training before they go to work on this movie. So ultimately, they got everything all ironed out. Heineck was hired on as technical consultant for the movie, and he was hired on to be on set for no more than three days to render services. And he ended up spending those three days not in Hollywood, but in Alabama, close to you, uh, Kurt. They ended up doing, they rented a airplane hangar in Alabama, in Mobile, Alabama, 
because there weren't any sound stages in Hollywood that were big enough for what Spielberg wanted to do with the climax of his movie. So the whole final act of the movie that takes place at this secret UFO landing base in the shadow of Devil's Tower, Wyoming, that was all constructed in this airplane hangar. So Hynek spends three days on set being technical consultant and just basically enjoying the hell out of it, out of himself and his time on set. And they shoot this uh, cameo shot that ends up being about six seconds long. And it comes in right around the time the huge alien mothership has appeared and has descended on the UFO landing site. And it's shining brilliant light everywhere. And all of these scientists and technicians in their white lab coats are all kind of hanging back, not wanting to get close to the mothership. But then all of a sudden, this older bespectacled gentleman comes weaving his way through all these white-coated scientists, and he's fiddling with his pipe and he's stroking his goatee. And he's the only person in the shot who's actually striding forward towards the mothership. And I think it's just a beautiful moment for Heineck because it just really shows, in six seconds, Spielberg showed exactly who Heineck was. He was a guy who would keep going forward. He was a guy who would be walking towards the mystery, not holding back. Also, he tended to be kind of low-key kind of guy. That's the impression I had of him there. But in the end, he basically was the main influence for this movie, at least his book well, and everything else. Did they pay him more than three days' work, or was that it? Well, actually, in that file, there was also a copy of the contract that Heineck signed with the producers of the movie. And I go over all this in the book. If I'm remembering right, what they paid him was for the rights to use the title Close Encounters of the Third Kind, they paid him $1,000. They paid him an additional $1,000 for permission to um, dramatize any of the stories that Heineck told in the book. And then they paid him $500 a day for each of the three days he was on set as technical consultant. So all told, he made $3,500. Now, you have to remember that's $3,500 in 1977, which makes a big difference. But you also have to remember that even though Spielberg's first movie, Jaws, was a huge, huge mega hit, nobody had any idea what kind of business Close Encounters would do. It had an awful title. You know, as much as we love the title now, as much as it's become a cultural icon, people hated the title at the time. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. What a stupid name for a movie. So nobody knew how well the movie would do. So the fact that Heineck was paid very little for his services is kind of offset by the reality of the situation. Of course, the movie producers were hedging their bets. They didn't know how well the movie would do. Let's do our break. More to come. Mark O'Connell and Kurt Collins, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have 
stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. Did you know that your children are the most vulnerable to identity theft? It's no surprise with all the mobile phones, social media platforms, that your children will eventually be a victim to one of the most significant crimes of the 21st century, identity theft. Don't let that happen. Cover your whole family, your spouse, your children, and your parents right now by calling Liberty ID. LibertyID.com is where you go for a significant discount just by using GCN at checkout, or you can call 844-44-LIBERTY. That's 844-44-LIBERTY. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. For those who haven't bothered, mid-1970s dollars, $3,000, is in 2017, $13,955.61. <laughs> which isn't a lot either. <laughs> but it sounds better than 3500 bucks. piece of related trivia, I don't know how well uh, Heinick's book sold, but if you have a copy of the novelization of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Heinick wrote the epilogue, and it's nonfiction, and it talks about UFOs, and it even has a pitch to um, you know check out what QFOs has to offer. And uh, so, you know, if people stuck with that book, the millions that read it to the end, you know, this was his, one of his greatest literary hits. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they did the same thing with the movie posters for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Somewhere, now I haven't been able to find a copy of the poster to check this out myself, but somewhere on the bottom of the movie poster, there is contact information for Kufos. So, yeah, between the, between the paperback and the movie poster... Kufos got an unbelievable amount of exposure, absolutely priceless. And, of course, Kufos's phone started ringing off the hook. Everybody who watched Close Encounter, it turned out, had a UFO story to tell, whether it was their own experience or the experience of a friend or a relative. Everybody started calling Kufos to report UFO sightings. Now, when I interviewed Dr. Heineck in the mid-'70s, you know, he had gone beyond accepting UFOs or possibly the interplanetary explanation, and he had something more 4D in concept. So let's look at that here. He's getting more serious involved in this subject. When did he say, you know what, this is real, this is strange, this is something we really need to understand? That is such an interesting transition in, in his thinking and it, I still kind of marvel at the way he was actually able to do this he had in his younger days he had had a definite pronounced spiritual bent he was never religious in the traditional sense 
but he did follow the teachings of certain spiritualists. He was fascinated in the teachings of uh, the Rosicrucians. He was fascinated by the writings and teachings of a mystic named Rudolf Steiner, who believed essentially that there was a parallel universe that we could enter at will anytime we wanted to, if we could only develop our inner, our innate faculties, our innate abilities to be able to see this dimension and cross into it. So these were ideas that were really fascinating to Heineck in his youth. Well, he gets his PhD, he gets his first teaching position. He can't be talking about stuff like that in the classroom. So he makes this very neat transition from a young student who's fascinated by mysticism into an academic, a very serious-minded academic who is all about the facts, the, fa- the facts, and nothing but the facts. But then later in life, in his, in his final years, as he was facing death when he was diagnosed with cancer, and I talked with his son Paul about this quite a bit, his dad returned to that, um, that spiritual side of things. And he started thinking in terms of the UFO phenomenon as possibly a psychic phenomenon. He started thinking that perhaps instead of coming here from other planets, maybe these were were objects or manifestations that were coming here from a parallel universe, just like the one that Rudolf Steiner had described. He started wondering if maybe UFO events had a strong psychological or even psychic angle to them. He would speculate about our ability to travel through space is limited by the speed of light, but how do we measure the speed of thought? What if a UFO encounter is actually... In part, what if it's some sort of thought projection from some phenomenon or entity from another dimension or billions of miles away? How do we know? It sounds like the Q continuum. It kind of does. You're right. That's an excellent example. Tell our listeners what that means. you got to be into Star Trek. Well, the Q continuum is basically a parallel universe where super beings can basically bend matter time and reality at their whim. Would you say that's a good description? Yeah, I'll go with that. (laughs) And there's a a super being from the Q continuum who visits our universe and likes to play with Captain Picard, likes to have fun and games with Captain Picard. It's been a long time since I've seen any of the episodes, so I might not have gotten the the explanation exactly right, but that's my recollection of it. It's a similar thing. It's it's this idea that the reason we can't understand this phenomenon is because it's coming from a different universe that has different rules and different limitations and different boundaries. But somehow it's found a way to come into our universe where it completely baffles us. Well, the factor would be when I say Q continuum in the sense messing with us is involved because Q was messing with Captain Picard. And of course, if you didn't have an actor like John DeLancey, it would never have been pulled off. You had to have the right interaction with him and Patrick Stewart for this to work. Yes, exactly. I, have a, I actually have a John DeLancey story. I, <laughs> this is off the subject, but I'm just going to tell this quick story. If you want to cut it out, feel free. I once did a science fiction convention in Milwaukee in which John DeLancey was one of the panelists, and I was one of the panelists. And at the end of the day, all of the, all of the guest speakers got up on stage as this one giant mega panel, and they opened it up to questions from the audience. So people would ask me questions about, you know, my Star Trek writing. Well, how did you get your break? How do you come up with your story ideas? And every time I started to answer a question, John DeLancey would make some stupid joke about what I was saying. And the crowd would just eat it up. They laughed their heads off. 
And I was getting really frustrated because I wanted to tell Delancey to shut up and let me talk. But then I finally realized, oh, no, this is what people came here for. <laughs> this is what they're expecting. I am John Delancey's straight man. And so I accepted my fate as John Delancey's straight man. It's a very memorable moment in my life. Does he have that kind of sardonic sense of humor in real life? Absolutely. He's just unstoppable. I mean, give him anything and he will make a joke out of it. I was stunned. (laughs) The more I watch some of these TV shows, the more I realize, especially when you have a show that goes on year after year, you have to put a lot of the personality of the actor in there to keep it genuine. Yeah, I definitely think that's the case with him. (laughs) But yeah, point is the Q continuum is right along the lines of what Heineck was starting to think of as possible explanations for the UFO phenomenon. Another piece of trivia, which you know about. We have another son of Dr. J. Allen Heineck, name of Joel Heineck, who's an Oscar-winning special effects person. Did he become interested, or do you know, in being a special effects artist because of his father? That is a mystery I was never able to solve because Paul Paul Hynek would always promise me that he would set me up to talk with his brothers and his one sister. And for whatever reasons, it never actually happened. So I never got a chance to find out. But I will. I also have another funny little side story along those lines, though. As part of my research for the book, I had the chance to meet the great Douglas Trumbull, the special effects designer for Close Encounters of the Third Kind and many other huge science fiction hits of the 70s and 80s. Uh, and I got a chance to meet Doug at his home in Connecticut. And we did an interview for the book. And my first question was, because Doug, it turns out, is a huge, huge UFO enthusiast. So my first question was, what kinds of talks did you have on set with Dr. Heineck about UFOs? And he said, you know what, Mark? I've always kicked myself for this. But he said, I never actually sat down and talked to him about UFOs. I was dying to. But those three days on set were so busy, I never had a chance to actually sit down and talk to him. But he said, I did have a chance to work with his son later on. And it turns out it's the same son who who got the Oscar for the special effects for Predator. He had come out to Connecticut and spent several months working with Doug Trumbull on, I believe, one of his motion simulation rides, which is basically what most of what Doug does these days. So he, so even though he hadn't talked with Dr. Heineck, the man, he also turned out several years later to have the opportunity to have long talks with Mr. Heineck the Younger while they were working together on a, on a completely unrelated project. We've got more to come with Mark O'Connell. And listener questions. Curtis Collins is guest co-host. And by the way, this week on After the Paracast, we'll probably hear from the one only inimitable Paul Kimball. You're in the Paracast. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features, and most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. 
So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Mineral Doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for Life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Arthur decks for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for Life, too. Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422. Are you retired or facing retirement and you're afraid your income is going to be less than you'd like? I'm Pharmacist Keith. Dr. Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy, and I want to show you a low-cost way to create your own business, working around your current schedule, creating extra income that will last for years to come by joining Dr. Wallach's crusade, spreading his message of better health. To learn more, visit radio.recordedvideo.com. That's radio.recordedvideo.com, radio.recordedvideo.com, or call 866-257-3105 for a recorded message. By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blocket Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. Hi, friends. Let me ask you a question. Why do we get car insurance for our cars, fire insurance for our homes, and life insurance for our lives, and not even consider identity insurance for our identities? I mean, isn't our identity one of the most important commodities we have? Well, of course it is. My friends at Liberty ID, they understand this, and that's why they're the leading provider of turnkey solutions to America's fastest growing crime, identity theft. Are you covered? Why not? Don't wait. Call today at 844-44-LIBERTY to get covered now. Do you realize that you're children are vulnerable your parents are vulnerable and yes you are vulnerable as well liberty id has successfully in three years restored over sixty thousand identities restored their good name and that is absolutely priceless now i know there's many companies out there saying they can do this but liberty id is the proven leader that restores your good name for you call them at 844-44-LIBERTY or visit them at libertyid.com and make sure you mention gcn at checkout for an incredible discount Fully cooked, ready-to-eat bacon. I'm talking thick, meaty, center-cut, presidential bacon. Savory and delicious. I buy some, I use some, I store some. Awesome. No refrigeration needed with a 10-year shelf life. NASA pack technology. Bacon. Fully cooked, fully hydrated, ready-to-eat right from the pack bacon. Or warm and served. Life-saving, ready-to-eat bacon. 10-year shelf life bacon. Ships free at FullyCookedBacon.com. FullyCookedBacon.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So let's continue with the trivia and then get to listener questions here. So Joel Heinick, of course, if you look him up, he was nominated for Predator. He won, by the way, for What Dreams May Come. Oh, okay. 
He did Zelig, he did Xanadu, Lady Hawk. I love that movie. He was the optical photography supervisor. He did Weird Science. He did Predator 2. He did Judge Dredd about <laughs> the less said the better. He did Die Hard with a Vengeance. And he did Eraser. You are erased. <laughs> okay. All right. That's quite a career. He's got quite a career. He's still doing it. He's doing a TV show called The Originals. He's doing a movie called Exile to Babylon. So he's working between TV and the movies. So guy has quite a career. And you look at his face. He kind of looks like Dr. Hynek with the beard, but kind of a wider face, if that means anything. I've never seen his picture, but I'll take your word for it. I'm just looking <laughs> online about that. We have some questions from listeners. We didn't have a lot of time to put up the information, but we have a few questions from our listeners of Mark O'Connell. Kurt, would you look them up, please? Sure. We've got one from... William uh, Strathman, and this goes back to what we were talking about briefly about um, Hynek's evolving beliefs. And he says, now, first of all, we have to fact check him on this uh, opening premise. Hynek said on a live radio broadcast that he thought UFOs came from a realm akin to that of gods and angels. Well, first of all, is that true? I I actually... Can believe that. Um, I'm not sure if he would. I, I'm not sure how I feel about about him using the gods and angels imagery because he didn't go for that kind of thing. He really was not a religious person at all. But it's not too far off from the kind of thing that Heineck really would have said that he thinks that UFOs may come from a realm of nature that we do not understand yet. So I guess in a way you could interpret that as as God and angels, you know, if that was your if that was your predilection. So I'd say I'd say yeah, I I I believe I believe Heineck would have said something along those lines. I'm just not sure if he would have used the gods and angel imagery. We'll have to see if we can find that exact quote. But on on to the question, he's he wants to know: Did Heineck ever think that some UFOs were ET visitors traveling in metal craft? In other words, the nuts and bolts. Version. Well, did he believe that? Well, Heineck was very reluctant to commit to that sort of explanation for the phenomenon. So it's not that he didn't believe it. It's that he felt that until there was proof, he couldn't get behind the theory. I mean, he actually said in a news special once, he said, anybody's free to say that they're extraterrestrial beings flying here in spaceships, but the burden of proof is on them. And that's how he basically approached the entire phenomenon. He was willing to entertain different explanations for the phenomenon, but he was never willing to commit to any one of those explanations. The end result of that was that it drove a lot of people absolutely nuts. It made a lot of people very impatient and upset with him because, of course, he's the number one UFO expert. Why won't he commit to an explanation? That's what we all want him to do, and yet he would never do it. So he frustrated a lot of people with that attitude. That brings us to our next question, because Donald Kehoe was very specific about saying exactly what flying saucers were, that they were extraterrestrial spacecraft. And William's other question is, after Heineck changed his view from debunker to that of accepting your reality, did he ever correspond with Donald Kehoe or James McDonald? Now, those are two different, very different people, but I'm even interested in the earlier relationship with Donald Kehoe, if you're aware of that. Both of those relationships actually uh, come up in the book. 
there's more to the Kehoe story than I was able to cover in the book. But yeah, he was a, definitely an important figure. Kehoe was one of the earliest proponents of the idea that the government knew about UFOs and was refusing to tell us. Okay, so that sort of kicks off the whole government cover-up conspiracy narrative that has you know stayed alive for so many years. So Kehoe really kind of started that whole thing. And there is an interesting moment, and I quote this in the book, when Hynek was getting frustrated with his current Blue Book chief. I can't remember who it was at the time. But he, was, he felt he, he was being held back from being able to fully investigate UFO cases. And he actually sent a long letter to his boss in which he said, Donald Kehoe is eating our lunch because he is doing a better job of investigating these cases than we are. If we're not careful, that's going to blow up in our faces. Well, Hynek's warning was never really heeded by his bosses. And Donald Kehoe kept sort of nipping at the heels of the Air Force and he absolutely was a major, major annoyance to them. Um, who was the other one you mentioned? Dr. James McDonald. Oh, yeah, Dr. McDonald. That's a great story. McDonald is such a fascinating character. So he's a professor from the University of Arizona. He had seen a UFO, but he was very disappointed with the way Blue Book handled the UFO investigation. He, he felt that the amateur groups like NICAP and APRO just simply weren't capable of investigating his sighting. So he, he pulled some strings. He had some government connections, and he visited Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And he actually read all the reports, uh, all the confidential reports in the Blue Book files in which basically the Air Force was saying the whole point of Project Blue Book is to make people f- forget about UFOs, is to make people not believe in UFOs. So he reads these papers, and then he goes to Chicago to visit with Hynek, And he slams his fist on Hynek's table and he's like, damn it, Alan, why have you been sitting there in silence for 18 years on Project Blue Book when you've had all these fantastic case reports coming your way? And Hynek was just stunned. He felt like, wait a minute, you don't understand the position I was in. It wasn't that easy. So on the one hand, Hynek was just completely aghast at the fact that McDonald was accusing him of not doing his job. But at the same time, Heineck was so thrilled that here is another colleague, an establishment scientist who has, you know, a a leading figure in academia who shares his views about UFOs, that they need to be studied more deeply. So on the one hand, Heineck was really taken aback by McDonald's anger. But at the same time, he was secretly thrilled that somebody agreed with him. And they... uh what, what was their working relationship? I, I recall that the uh, I, I'm sure Gene knows the terminology, but but after the uh, the swamp gas incident, there was a congressional inquiry of some kind. And, and I think they worked together on that. I, I never came across any information about them working together on that. I know that McDonald's visit to Heineck came the summer after the swamp gas incident. So it was within a matter of months. And the one thing that that visit did do uh, was it inspired Hynek to write a very long letter to the editors of Science Magazine, basically giving them a status report on the field of UFO study. So that is something that McDonald, that is a very positive effect. He actually got Hynek brave enough to really break cover. And write a very long letter in a very distinguished science magazine about the reality of the UFO situation. We're continuing with The Close Encounters Man, 
Dr. J. Allen Hynek. The book by Mark O'Connell with Gene and Kurt, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Are you looking to become more self-sufficient? Then you need to have your own energy source. The Solark EMP hardened generator is automatic, maintenance-free, and reduces your monthly electric bill. You can also take it off-grid when you go camping. Contact PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875 today. Portable Solar LLC gives you everything you need to start using solar energy in less than one hour. Solark EMP hardened solar generator energy insurance. For your family or business, call Portable Solar LLC today. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Heart disease is on the rise. Clogged arteries, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol levels may not be fully detected by you, but the symptoms are there. Loss of energy, blood sugar spikes and drops, poor circulation, and irregular heartbeat are just a few of these that can alert you that something is wrong. Hear how heart and body extract is making a difference in thousands of people's lives across America. My blood pressure has normalized. My diabetes has totally improved. Everyone is telling me now how much healthier I look, and I'm everyone how much healthier I feel. I recommend heart and body extract to everyone. Anybody over 40 in the North American continent should be using this product as a preventative to keep their cardiovascular system healthy. Order your two-month supply today by calling 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. Or order online, hbextract.com. Heart and body extract, 866-295-5305. Or hbextract.com. Are you happy washing your hands with harsh chemicals? Are you happy doing laundry with detergents? Are you happy paying high prices? Find your happiness with Pure Soap. These all-natural, earth-friendly Pure Soaps are the very best you've ever used. Buy in bulk. Get a 12, 36, or 48-month supply. Or get items individually and still save big. You're getting soap products twice as good as what you're using now. Earth-friendly and natural soaps. Your family deserves the best. 
happiness is 5starsoap.com. Why not put your money up the drain for a change? See them at 5starsoap.com or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog. Cal Bend Soap Company can save you thousands of dollars and give you good old-fashioned real soaps that are triple concentrated. Soaps made from vegetable and coconut oils. See their full selection of soaps at 5starsoap.com. That's F-I-V-E starsoap.com. Or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog. Hi, this is nuclear physicist lecturer Stanton Friedman. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Quickly, we're going to have some fascinating episodes coming up of After the Paracast. We have one upcoming with Paul Kimball and lots more. If you want to hear that show or even hear the commercial-free version of this one, you have to join the PowerCast Plus. For more information, check out plus.thepowercast.com, P-L-U-S dot thepowercast.com. It's really, really worth it. We have Kurt Collins as our guest co-host with Mark O'Connell pursuing stories about Dr. J. Allen Hynek and how Dr. McDonald kind of egged Dr. Heineck along there to be more assertive? That's, that's a fair description. He definitely d- inspired Dr. Heineck to, to actually stick his neck out a little and make a public statement um, to the scientific community about the UFO phenomenon. We have another listener question, and this was uh, this was actually about your opinion. But if you wanted to to try to channel Dr. Heineck for this too, uh, Blowfish asks, "What does Mark think about this article? Greetings, ET. Please don't murder us." And I haven't read that. I don't know if you have, but I'm assuming this has to do with the Stephen Hawking suggestion that if ET comes, we're going to come out in bad shape because every time a superior technology comes to a primitive people, which we would be in comparison the primitives lose out so what's your what's your take on that theory well i just read that article this morning and it is an amazing story anybody who has a chance read that story it's so well researched and so well written it really covers all the nuances of the positives and the negatives of us trying to make contact with with other intelligences in the universe it gives you a whole lot to think about And it parallels in some ways some of the material in my book, because one of the leading figures in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence was Dr. Carl Sagan. Well, Sagan and Hynek had a very long professional relationship and personal relationship in which they often uh, did battle, sometimes in public, over the UFO phenomenon. Sagan was a huge skeptic, and in fact, he made fun of anybody who talked about UFOs, including Dr. Hynek. So Sagan is a part of this article that the questioner uh, mentioned, because he he was one of the founders of the Institute for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Now, SETI, what SETI does, with very few exceptions, SETI simply points an antenna into space and listens for signals. The article was all about this new group called METI, which was messaging extraterrestrial intelligence. They're going to take the opposite approach. They are going to actively broadcast signals out into space in the hopes that some alien civilization uh, will receive those signals. So the question is, is this smart? (laughs) Is it smart for us to let other 
intelligent life forms know where we are? Even if it is okay, is it fair that that decision is being made by a handful of scientists and all the rest of us people on Earth who could be affected by this decision, we never get a say in this kind of decision. So those were kind of the two main themes of, of the article as I read it. And I thought it was really fascinating. And I think the author made some incredibly good points. I think we really should think about what could happen if we made our presence known. And there are good arguments on both sides. I, I have to say, I'm not choosing a side yet because there are very convincing and very fascinating, thought-provoking arguments on both sides. But it's definitely anyone who's interested in this topic should read this article. There was there was one more question. This was from Technomage, and I think we've kind of covered this already, but maybe we can spin off from this. He says, what, was there a particularly strong case that convinced Heineck that there was more to UFOs that could be conventionally explained? And if there wasn't a case in particular, did you think there was something that gave him an idea that supported his uh, psychic notions that there might be that kind of explanation? Mm-hmm. Well, I mentioned before that Heineck was never always very comfortable with occupant cases, close encounters of the third kind cases. But those were the cases that, that very often really caused him to question his own beliefs, question his own biases. And there was a, there were a string of them that sort of came into his field of consciousness in the early 70s. He met with Father Gill, the Anglican uh, minister from Boyanai, New Guinea, who had seen the waving UFO occupants in 1959. No sooner had he gotten back from that trip meeting with Dr. Gill than the Pascagoula, Mississippi abduction took place. It, this is in 1973 now. So all of a sudden, Heineck was confronted with some very high-profile close encounters of the third kind, and he really had to confront his own biases. And I thought those cases made some very interesting transition points for him because he went from just loathing close encounter of the third kind cases to thinking, wow, these kinds of stories um, have really started to open up his thinking to alternative views of the phenomenon because he absolutely did not doubt these witnesses. He was so convinced by the witnesses that they had actually had experiences with UFO occupants that he he was forced to take it seriously. And it really made a big difference in his thinking towards the end. Help me out with the timeline here. So Heineck was, he was friends with uh, Dr. Jacques Vallée. They they co-wrote a book at some point and Project Blue Book was closed. When did the Center for UFO Studies get established? That happened in 1973. It was shortly after the Pascagoula abduction case. Only one week later, there was another very famous case in Ohio that involved a army helicopter crew that almost went into a crash dive to avoid a UFO. And then the UFO grabbed the helicopter in some sort of tractor beam and pulled it up to safety. So you had these two absolutely spectacular high profile cases taking place within a week of each other. Well, within a couple of weeks of that, all of these people are invited to be guests on a TV talk show, the Dick Cavett show. So Heineck is there. Charles Hickson from the Pascagoula abduction is there. Lawrence Coyne, the, the captain of the helicopter crew, is there, all to talk about these experiences. But also on the panel that night on the talk show was Carl Sagan. And Carl Sagan just ridiculed everyone else on the show. But Heineck basically waited until things had quieted down towards the end of the show and used that moment to announce that he was forming the Center for UFO Studies. 
And it might not have meant a whole lot to the people watching the show, but it certainly meant a lot to Carl Sagan because it signaled that, number one, um, Heineck was seriously going to start a scientific study of the phenomenon. And it signaled, number two, that he had support from other scientists. And that was a bombshell bit of information. So that's when KUFOS it was announced in late 1973. And then it really was sort of took form in 1973. At what point, and this gets to be a sad part of it, at what point did Dr. Hynek realize that his time here was rather short? Uh, this, this was in uh, the mid-80s. He and his wife had moved to um, Scottsdale, Arizona, which I believe you're familiar with. Yeah, and I lived there for a number of years, starting in 1993. Okay, well, Hynek was very glad to get away from the Chicago winters. I can tell you that. So they moved to Scottsdale, and the, the initial plans were, and I, I spent a lot of time in this on the book. There's a whole chapter devoted to this. Heineck had been tempted by promises of funding from a multimillionaire to fund a, a brand new UFO research center in Scottsdale, Arizona. So that was the big reason that he and his wife moved down there. Well, once they moved there, they found out that the, the promise of all this funding was really just smoke and mirrors. The the, the the, the financing never actually gelled. It never actually appeared. So the, the grandiose plans for a UFO research center just kind of, you know, fell apart. And it, it, was, a, it was a disappointing moment in Heineck's career because he really thought that he was about to reach a whole new level with his ability to study the phenomenon. And it all came crashing down around him. Well, right around that time, uh, he was diagnosed with um, uh, uh, prostate cancer, I believe. And when he had surgery to have the tumor removed... Um, the doctors discovered that he also had a brain tumor. So most definitely sad times for Dr. J. Allen Hynek. We'll continue with our final segment with Mark O'Connell, the final years of Dr. J. Allen Hynek and more. You're in The Paracast. listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. 
Fully cooked, ready-to-eat bacon. I'm talking thick, meaty, center-cut, presidential bacon. Savory and delicious. I buy some, I use some, I store some. Awesome. No refrigeration needed with a 10-year shelf life. NASA pack technology. Bacon. Fully cooked, fully hydrated, ready-to-eat right from the pack bacon. Or warm and served. Life-saving, ready-to-eat bacon. 10-year shelf life bacon. Ships free at FullyCookedBacon.com. FullyCookedBacon.com. Stop. Put that mobile phone down because it may have been compromised. Are you aware that many identity theft issues start right on your mobile device? My friends at LibertyID.com have helped over 60,000 individuals without failure get their identities back because of them being compromised. Don't be next. Call 844-44-LIBERTY. That's 844-44-LIBERTY or visit LibertyID.com to find out if, in fact, you've been compromised and use discount code GCN. It's a no-brainer. A Big Berkey water filter is the one you need, period. You need a water filter that removes chlorine, fluoride, pharmaceuticals, BPA, and other endocrine disruptors, pesticides, bacteria, viruses, and much more, right? And does it all at only two cents per gallon. Get the original most trusted name in gravity water filtration, Big Berkey. And now GCN listeners receive 5% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN. Call or click 1-877-99-BERKEY or BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY. Extendivite really works. Just listen to what some people have to say. Several years ago, I was developing a very uh, severe situation. I called it my flippy heart. It just was doing not good things. And I did not want to go to a medical doctor because uh, I just knew they would give me a cover-up pill. I didn't want to get onto that sort of thing at all. When I learned it was garlic and cayenne, and cayenne is a healer. It is a wonderful herb. I said, I think I'm onto something here. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be without it. It did wonderful things for me. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply of either capsules or liquid. Call now. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Be prepared for the next disaster with the Shelter Pod. The Shelter Pod is a large, all-season, heavy-duty, quick-deploy shelter. The Shelter Pod system can be set up in 30 seconds and includes an emergency medical kit, water filter, survival tools, and more. Are you prepared to take care of your family? Do you have everything in one place ready to go? Get it now or enter to win a complete Shelter Pod system at ShelterPod.com. The Shelter Pod at ShelterPod.com. Shelter when you need it most. This is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We have Mark O'Connell, author of The Close Encounters Man, and he's now making the public appearance circuit. He's been with Alejandro Rojas at Open Minds. You're going to join Kevin Randall, are you not? Yes, I am. Uh, next Wednesday, yeah. Okay, July a few 5th. days after you hear this, you can hear all sorts of different versions and variations. Now, knowing his time was short, and this is a hard thing to ask about anyone, did he do anything different or make plans to preserve his work? What? 
Well, there are all sorts of strange situations involved in this time of his life. There were these two figures who entered his life, Tina Choate and Brian Myers, who um, they actually were the ones who convinced Heineck and his wife to move to Arizona and thought that they could arrange this financing from their friend, the millionaire. So that all kind of fell apart. There were always rumors, and I did not go into this because I just didn't see any point in pursuing this story for the story I wanted to tell. But some there's a story, and I'm sure many of your, your listeners probably know more about this story than I do, about some missing UFO case files from one of the amateur UFO research groups that you know sort of vanished from someone's office in, in Arizona around this time. So it was, it was a bad time for ufology in general. There were some exciting plans that kind of fell through, and then these case files go missing. Heineck still had all of his initial work, though, was still intact at Kufos in Chicago. So it's not as though his body of research was, was damaged or depleted in any way. That was all still intact in Chicago and still is. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a hard time. And more and more, though, in, in his last days, he kind of moved away from, you know, the case files and the case studies and just started thinking much deeper, more spiritual thoughts And I get a lot of this from his son, Paul, because Paul moved back in with his folks during the last year of his dad's life. So there's no better expert on what happened in the final days of J. Allen Hynek than than his son, Paul. So Paul told me a lot about how um, his dad sort of returned to his earlier spiritual leanings, not just in terms of what his own life meant and what his own death would mean, but also in terms of what it could tell us about the UFO phenomenon. You know, this idea of the parallel universe or the supersensible realm applied to UFOs as much as it applied to Heineck and his own soul. So it was a very interesting introspective time for Heineck. Uh, again, very, very spiritual. And then when he did die, as I mentioned in the book, he was not buried for three days. This is a tradition of the Rosicrucians because they believe that if the body is embalmed and interred too soon, the soul will not be able to make its journey to its next level of existence. So this was a serious enough belief to Dr. Hynek that these were part of his final wishes, that he would not be embalmed or buried for three days, according to Rosicrucian teachings. Wow. And and what about his legacy? I mean, the, you said the organization itself is just uh, basically a small office now, but, you know, he's been a, a in, huge influence on 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 people and his work seems to continue maybe not exactly as he would have wanted it but but what do you think about where ufology is now i don't look so much at ufology as i just look at the broader cultural implications of heineck's work and i think if you look at that there's there's no denying the man has has had an immense immense influence on all of our lives our constant fascination with flying saucers and aliens the x-files all the alien invasion movies and TV series, the series that have been made over the years, all of these things really came about because Heineck was willing to go out on the limb decades ago and say, hey, this isn't just people's imagination. There is something real going on here. And if we're smart, we'll try to figure out what that is. Even if we never do figure out what it is, we should keep trying because it could be really important. It could be an important part of our existence and the reason why we're here. So I believe that Heineck's legacy is immense. Our culture is so permeated with UFO thoughts and imagery. 
And it's not just the UFO field. It's also modern science. So much of modern science comes about because of the pioneering work that Hynek did as an astronomer in the 40s and 50s and 60s. The Hubble Space Telescope, our whole series of space telescopes, including the Kepler telescope, that was Hynek's idea back in the 1950s and in, in the early 60s. Hynek was the first astronomer to try to get a telescope up above the Earth's atmosphere where it could get clearer images of astronomical bodies. That was Hynek's idea, and that's what became the Hubble Space Telescope. So if you put together the influence on pop culture, on ufology, and on modern science, you've got a, a massive legacy that I think continues to shape our world even today. Now, one thing here, it's kind of too bad. Hynek was involved in a book called Night Siege, and one of the co-authors was, of course, Philip Imbrogno, who unfortunately turned out to be a big fake later on. I just wonder what Dr. Hynek would have thought had he known it then. Well, I think he probably would have been deeply embarrassed. Um, I think that book can I never dug into that a whole lot. Um, it wasn't really central to the story I was trying to tell in the book. But from what I understand... Um, that book came about at a time when, you know, I think it was Heineck was coming off the disappointment of things not working out so well in Arizona. And he was he was kind of, you know, looking for maybe that one one more case that would point the way that would maybe give us some final piece of evidence. He was fascinated with a couple of different cases at that period. The Hesdalen Lights, I think I'm pronouncing that properly. Um, the Cash Landrum sighting. And of course, the sightings in the book that you're talking about. Those were kind of Heineck's sort of last attempt to, to try to sort of glean something about the UFO phenomenon from a few final cases. But yeah, that one in particular, I think he probably would be embarrassed if he had known how it all washed out. Did Heineck ever consider the possibility that some of those early UFO cases, and I'll mention Roswell as an example, may have been the result of some kind of government experiment? Well, he just didn't like to talk about saucer crash stories at all. He found them pretty distasteful. And part of that was, if you're talking about a saucer crash, then the implication is that the saucer was a nuts and bolts phenomenon. It was a physical object that had been created by some intelligence. And again, Heineck never wanted to commit himself to that kind of thinking. So he, he just stayed away from cases like that. And as far as, you know, the Air Force cover up, again, he, he believed the Air Force's cover up had more to do with them not knowing things than actually knowing things. So, you know, I don't have much of an answer for you. Those were cases that Heineck actually shied away from, and I think with good reason. If our listeners want to know more about the things that Mark O'Connell has done or is doing, where can they check you out? Well, there's the book, The Close Encounters Man, which is now available at bookstores everywhere. And I also write a blog called High Strangeness, and you can find that at highstrangenessufo.com. That's highstrangenessufo, all one word, dot com. Kurt Collins, if our listeners want to know more about your stuff, where do they go? BlueBlurryLines.com Okay. You can find us on Twitter if you look for the Paracast. You can also find us on Facebook, two official Paracast fan clubs, because nobody can do just one. No, that doesn't even sound right. We also have that special service for you where you can get a commercial-free version of this show free of 41 minutes of Network's ads that we just cut out. You never hear them. Better quality audio. And the way to do that is to become a member 
of the Paracast Plus. Go to plus, P-L-U-S dot theparacast.com. That's plus dot theparacast.com. We also give you the After the Paracast podcast, which is absolutely a thousand percent unpredictable. Okay? Totally unpredictable. We never know what's going to happen. We have special guests. We have people talking. It's uninhibited and uncensored. So check out how to become a member of the Paracast Plus at plus.theparacast.com. This price has started just $1.49 a week. Now imagine what it costs to buy a Starbucks coffee. plus.theparacast.com. Hey, Kurt, thank you so much on like an hour and a half notice for filling in as the guest co-host this week. We really appreciate it. Well, you had a good guest, and I, I would listen to the show. I was glad to be part of it. Mark O'Connell, thank you so much for remembering a really great guy. Thank you for joining us well, on the Paracast. Thank you both for having me and for making the whole experience so much fun. I really enjoyed myself. Featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.